There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey! 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 Getting ready to get into it with pretty much hours, hours before 2017 Los Angeles Rams training camp opens. Rookies coming in on Wednesday, veterans coming in on Friday, first practice. Uh, although some people think practice is fake news. Coming on Saturday. With me tonight, Mason. Mason, what's going on, man? Uh-oh. Is that your sore on hold? Is he Is he muted? Let's see if we can try this again. Last night I was so excited by our technical difficulties that we were able to avoid. Mike, and you there, dude? I'm here. Can you hear me? There he is. Yeah, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on? Loving this. Uh, Where do you get together, man? Unbelievable. It's, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a couple of days for the Los Angeles fans, some weird news, but it's been a hell of a couple of days for Mike and on your floor. What, what, what happened this weekend, <laughs> man? Martin. Man, you know, I... I got the worst luck lately in cars, apparently, because I just I can't stay out of accidents. <laughs> you know, I totaled my car. First, this first accident I've ever had in my life with me behind the wheel. <laughs> and my car is, like, completely gone. It's just shredded. That, the, the physical, the health issues, nothing. Yeah, I'm compared to the last one, I'm good. All I did this time, you know, good little biting of the lip hit my head a little bit, but I'm good. Not uh, I didn't have to be hospitalized or anything like that. I'm good to go this time. But, okay. yeah, my car isn't so much. Um, yeah, it was. I was pretty pissed most of the weekend, still kind of pissed. But that's what insurance is for, right? <laughs> car is gone. What happened, man? But, but it, was, it, was it you? Was it the other guy? What's going on? So they got this stupid law where if you hit a person from behind, you're at fault. I hit him from behind, but I'm not at fault. <laughs> uh, basically, um, first off, I don't watch the news. Um, only news I watch is sports related. <laughs> so I don't watch the news at all. And I'm driving, and I'm headed downtown Saturday night, and apparently there's a, a protest going on at the prison. <laughs> and as I'm driving, uh, the, I guess the AC went out at the prison, uh, the prison here in St. Louis, and people were upset that the, that the conditions wasn't uh, good living conditions at the prison, so they decided to protest. <laughs> and I'm driving, and there, all of a sudden you just see all these cop lights on one side and all these people flashlights on the other side, and I'm just like, okay, well, what is going on here? Well, the guy on this street that we're on, there's no stoplights, no stop signs, nothing. It's just a straightaway street, speed limit 50 miles an hour. So the guy in front of me is going 50. I'm going 50. The guy behind me is going 50. You know, we're just cruising along. Well, the guy in front of me decides, I don't know what's going on, 
but I'm going to yell out my window and start cursing out the cops. So he starts yelling out his window, cursing at the cops. Then he slams on his brakes to honk his horn at the cops. Well, the problem with that is I'm behind him. <laughs> so I smash the back of him and destroy the front end of my car. The guy behind me, he takes off like half of my back bumper trying to dodge me. Um, the police, you know, it happened in front of 80 cops. So they all were uh-huh. like, well, this is obviously his fault, you know, so they gave him a citation, which works in my favor because apparently this is the only time in the world that the whole if you hit the person from behind thing isn't your fault. So they gave him the citation considering he was impeding traffic, as they called it. So, yeah, my car is completely totaled, though, like it's not drivable at all. So, yeah, that that sucked. <laughs> that sucked big time. But it is what it is, I guess. It's not my fault. Hashtag, <laughs> I hit him from behind. It's not my fault. <laughs> hashtag blog lives matter, man. Blog lives matter. <laughs> exactly. Come on. <laughs> hashtag not my Crazy fault. Crazy weekend. <laughs> yeah, crazy Good weekend. Good stuff out In here on, on our side. I went to you do. Oh, Mason, you just. <laughs> what did you do? Who did you? Who did you I, piss off I, upstairs, I pissed man? Pissed somebody off, right? <laughs> I pissed somebody off. Good. <laughs> My garage door broke, so I had to fix that too. <laughs> but that wasn't as bad. as This is part. like a what's old show? A Final Destination. Everything just keeps happening. Right? Whoa! Oh man. <laughs> Get I know, it together right? I don't quick, feel Mike. safe in my old house. I, I saw a toothpick and my light <laughs> flashed before my eyes. <laughs> Getting ugly. <laughs> what about you? Can man. we get in top of that <laughs> Well, let's get into it. Uh, as always, hit us up. Hashtag Tertial Radio. We got stuff on Twitter. We got stuff on Facebook. We got stuff on the site to get to. Um, hell of a lot going on with the team this week. I guess before we look back, I think we kind of need to look forward. Dominant uh, right. storyline coming up. There's obviously going to be training camp, man. Breaking uh, this week. Wednesday, we got rookies coming in. That's 48 hours, less than 48 hours. Yes. Uh, rookies come to camp. Uh, veterans coming on Friday. The schedule, I don't know I don't know if you've seen this. The, weird, the weirdest yeah. controversy I have ever seen. The Rams announced training camp, but I guess some people think that's a hoax or that if you just, <laughs> if you just say, hey, here's when the practices are, that's, that's some kind of fake news. I don't know what is going on with these people. Suffice to say, Practices start on Saturday. Whether you believe the team or not, I, w- I will leave that up to you. But for those of us who believe that the schedule is the schedule, uh, you can find it on the site. Uh, runs a couple of weeks. Uh, got the big practice, obviously, against the Chargers. That will draw quite a bit of attention, quite a bit of headlines. Um, anything stand out on the schedule to you? Do you think, do you think there's anything unusual or unique? Or do you think yep. the, the fact that this is Sean McVay's first camp, do you think that affects the schedule at all? Or do you think this is just, uh, you know, an, another year camp? Absolutely not. It's just another year camp. I, I really don't know where yeah. this stuff comes from. There's Sometimes I hear these things, you know, where people are like, oh, this this can't be this, or this is what's really happening, all these conspiracy theories. I'm just like, what the hell are people talking Like, where does it even – who brings this stuff up and makes it a borderline reality for – people <laughs> like I, I would never figure that out i don't i don't think there's any sort of conspiracy going on it's just these are the dates and it's sean mcveigh's first go around so i'm more interested in seeing how he uh how he brings the team together once he get everyone together for the first time you know though they, they always yeah. say the first practice in pads and camp is where you know you separate the boys from men so 
I'm interested to see oh, sure. that more than anything. <laughs> that's 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 the especially thing when I'm you for that. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you start talking about line play, you you can't really practice offensive defensive line play until you until you start smacking people around in the mouth. That you know you you can't exactly. really practice that. You can't simulate that. Um, but exactly. unfortunately, the other thing that that that, that doesn't simulate is injury. Um, fortunately, the Rams have been uh, pretty healthy. They got two two main ones I'd yeah. like to track right now. You got Tavon Austin coming off the wrist surgery, and then you got Josh Forrest to a uh, ACL injury in November. I haven't seen an updated timeline right. on him, but as always, injuries in the whether it's the off season program or training camp or practice, whatever injuries are the major thing that can affect your season. Look, you've seen guys around the league already go down. Rams have been lucky right. not to have one, and hopefully we can get through camp without another one. But that's going to be probably uh, the biggest storyline throughout camp is to see if anybody does go down. You know, I, when you when you really think about it, don't the Rams usually make it through the off season pretty healthy? They lose players like in the lucky. last week. Yeah, they lose players. Well, now, the now, last hold on, wait a second, Mison. Mison, <laughs> final destination, Mison. I don't want you talking about anything with luck. You just hey. leave it alone. <laughs> Hey, I'm probably the last guy to do it, but if I got to go down, I'm taking everybody with me. Mice and Silver McCam, three I ever go down. Exactly. You know, I'm just stay away from me. Like, if you're somebody that – if I'm rooting for one guy, I'm going to go stand next to his com- competition. <laughs> but I, I, I definitely – I think the Rams, you know, they it's for recent years at least, you know, they've done a pretty good job of getting everybody in healthy for camp. It's usually like the last week or two of camp. You start seeing guys go down with these injuries, you know. <laughs> like it, it, yeah. the camp is usually what about five or six weeks. And nice. you, last year, the first injury was Nelson Spruce. Um, that's three weeks into Spruce, camp. EJ, EJ Gaines went down early too. Remember, EJ yeah, Gaines had that. Uh, goes down. You know, a couple of years ago, you lose Sam Bradford. You lost Sam Bradford, yep. Roger Saffold in the same game. You know, so the Rams injuries usually come during camp. I don't know what the hell Jeff Fisher was doing to those guys at camp, but hopefully, hopefully Sean McVay can have a little more uh, success making it through camp than previous years. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, we had EJ Gaines uh, last year, Trumaine Johnson uh, a couple of years ago, which was what led EJ Gaines to get that time early on in the year. Yeah, exactly. His rookie season. Um, so we'll yeah. have to see. But obviously, injuries is going to be a storyline that. Uh, perhaps more important moving forward than it has been the last couple of weeks, only because you only dealt with Tavon and Josh Forrest coming off the injury. Uh, I think the bigger thing that most people are excited about seeing is how the different strings are laid out at each position and what kind of roster battles. You talked about backup running back last week. We talked about wide receiver, offensive line, linebacker, cornerback. We'll get a chance to see where everybody's at, you know, who's the uh, primary outside uh, wide receivers who are the backups right. so who, who's on who's a uh, Andrew Whitworth's backup left tackle who is know, you know the dollar question <laughs> sure who knows uh, we, we finally get answers <laughs> to all these questions um who's the how does the slot uh cornerback issue if we're talking about moving Lamarcus Joyner to safety and Nikhil Roby Coleman in the slot who's the backup slot cornerback who's the backup safety behind Lamarcus Joyner I think those are the things we start getting answers to at camp yeah, and I think with that, like, I think we know LaMarcus Joyner is the starting safety, but then he's also the backup. This is just from, you know, Sean McVay and uh, Wade Phillips' words, you know, but he's the backup slot, you know, because they're talking about moving him down and certain packages into that slot role. So, you know, we know that, but then it's, okay, so who's going to take that safety spot when he comes down? 
you know, or are they going to just have two nickels on the field and play Maurice Alexander deep, you know? So I think there's a lot of questions to be answered in that secondary. And, you know, we touched on that a little bit last week as far as the battles at the other cornerback spots. So I think the secondary is something we should probably be looking forward to a lot. Yeah, well, it's the same. excited to get some answers on this stuff. I think the other thing is what you alluded to is the, the – the first time that Sean McVay gets to put his imprint on the team, both uh, as the imprimatur at the top, but also to see, you know, what is Wade Phillips doing on defense or Matt LaFleur doing on offense where he goes over to them and says, guys, I want this, or I want us to make sure we focus on this situation, whether it's two-minute drill or, you know, first and 20 or getting out of your own red zone, those kind of – or the offensive red zone. This is, this is the first chance for Sean McVay to, to sincerely, with pads on and when it matters – put his stamp on the team, and I think that's going to be important as well. You know, you mentioned it, and you, you, you talk about Matt LaFleur, and, you know, if the million-dollar question is who is backing up Andrew Whitworth, I guess the $2 million question is what's Matt LaFleur's role going to be here in camp? Yeah. You know, if, if the, if the yeah. play calling is going to be Sean McVay, what do you think What do you think Matt LaFleur is going to be doing, you know, other than repeating whatever Sean McVay just said? <laughs> Well, and the, the interesting thing is this is exactly what Sean McVay did in Washington, right? When Jay yeah. Gruden was the head coach calling plays and Sean McVay was his offensive coordinator. And over the course of time, Gruden handed those responsibilities down to McVay uh, and allowed him to run the offense for him. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a similar situation develop over the coming years between McVay and the Yeah, yeah. I could definitely see eventually. I, could, I think that – the number one thing that you heard people talk about with Sean McVay when he said he was going to be calling the plays is, does he realize, you know, how busy he's going to be and how much work he has already as the as the head coach? You know, does he really right. want to call plays in his first season, you know, without even getting adapted to that new role as the head coach? That could be something that, as the season goes on, you know, plays a role in him saying, hey, you know, maybe I need to back off a little bit and try to focus on the team as a whole because – it's so much work to try to wear both. So that's, that'd be, that'd be a really interesting thing that, you know, we'll see as the season goes on, but early on in camp, you know, I'm not sure we're going to get a good feel for how he's handling it all and everything. Cause it's so early, right. but and by, by the, by the bye week, we should, we should have a pretty good indication of how he's handling head coach and play caller. And if anything, what we'll get in training camp is just an idea of the relationship of what things McVay feels comfortable with LaFleur handling independently where he's, he yeah. may not be calling plays, but he may, he may be calling for adjustments. He may be tweaking things here or there. You talk about package plays. He may say, I want, you know, make sure you're looking for this after this, those kind of things. And having McVay call the specific plays, uh, that kind of stuff may surface through, through camp. Um, you talked about focus. <laughs> some of the, some of the focus got a little bit lost this week uh, as we turn toward the content of the week. Our, our favorite oh, yeah. uh, longtime Los Angeles Rams legend, Eric Dickerson, uh, went oh, on yeah. – uh, whatever. I don't even know the name of the show. I think it's The Herd uh, on Fox Sports yeah. 1, but it was being hosted that day by That's Doug Gottlieb, and suggested that Sean Mannion should be the starting quarterback, as if the Rams didn't have enough to deal with <laughs> going into camp this year. I'll leave it open-ended, man. What did, what did you think? Well, you know, I just – I can't figure out – What's up with Eric Dickinson? I don't know if he's genuinely just being real. This is how he feels. Or is he just as hell? <laughs> like, he would win the Petty of the Year award because he just can't seem to 
back off of them. And I and don't get me wrong, I criticize when things go wrong as well. But the new season, we haven't even had the chance to see anything to criticize. <laughs> he's already he's already in mid season form. You know? <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. all right, well. <laughs> Here we are, you know, should Mania start? You know, if Eric Dickerson says it, people are going to listen. And here we are talking about it, you know, should Mania start? I mean, for me personally, I say Mania should not start. Because, and I say that for one reason and one reason only. You've, you've thrown Jared Goff into the fire. You've had him at the, you know, the helm of this team for the entire offseason. It's been beaten to his head. He's going to start. He's only 22 years old. If you were to decide week one to pull him for Sean Mannion, I think it would completely destroy him mentally. And you would have wasted a number one pick and a lot of draft capital. <laughs> because you, 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 when you pull a guy just like that, the confidence is, confidence is killed. Because he hasn't really built up a resume to feel confident enough that he, you know, he's got a stranglehold on this or anything like that. And he hasn't really played enough to call a bust. So it's like if you were to snatch him out and throw Sean Mayan in and say, you're not ready yet, it's like, well, why did you have me doing this all offseason? <laughs> you know, why wasn't he doing it? You know, so now he starts questioning himself. So I wouldn't be crazy about the idea of starting Sean Mayan now because of you've already invested so much time with golf as the starter. You know, he finished out the last seven weeks as a starter whole off season, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to me, but Eric Dickerson, he uh he speaks his mind as he likes to say. <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? The one yeah, the one thing and obviously this was the Jeff Fisher era and you can put a semi firm wall in between the Fisher and the McVeigh eras, but each of the last three seasons there's been a mid season quarterback change. You had three years ago it was the first game. They went from Sean Hill to Austin Davis and then midseason from Austin Davis to Sean Hill. Two years ago was Nick Foles to Case Keenum, and then obviously last year was Case Keenum to Jared Goff. So whatever that means, uh, the, not, not saying that that's the kind of thing that carries over from coaching staff to coaching staff, but this is obviously a team that has undergone that each of the last three seasons. Um, I think on the, on the quarterback front, the other thing that made things interesting was they finally found a third arm, and it had been a couple weeks. Uh, they had flirted yeah. with Aaron Murray and Dylan Thompson earlier in the offseason. This year they brought in Dan Orlovsky. Uh, you know, you had a young pair in Mannion and golf, and you bring in a veteran like Orlovsky. What did you think about that pickup? You know, I, I, I like it for one reason one reason only. He's one of those backup quarterbacks that knows he's a backup quarterback. Everyone around the league knows he's a backup quarterback, and he's respected for that role. You know, he is a true backup quarterback. He's another uh, – Kellen Clemens, so to say, or a Case Keenum, a guy that everyone knows is a backup quarterback that teams are happy to bring in. He's made his career off of that. So you have to feel comfortable knowing that you have a, a veteran backup quarterback who who's used to that role so he knows how to handle it. Now, with that being said, what does this say for Sean Mannion? Because this, complete, this completely – you know that they're not going to cut – Jared Goff, even if Jared Goff isn't the starter, which, again, I I think he will be, I think he should be, even if Jared Goff isn't the starter, you know he's not getting cut. If anyone's going to get cut, it's either going to be Olofsky or it's going to be Charmaine. So if they're bringing in Charmaine and they needed a cap for him, you know, so I don't want to read too much into this. It's just that it's so last minute (laughs) and that for the last minute, Usually last minute, you see, you know, they need somebody for camp so the quarterback arms don't get too worn out and stuff. 
and they, you know, they got to have that extra body there, they usually just bring in a camp body. But, again, this is a well-respected NFL backup. So you would think that he's capable of putting some pressure on whoever is going to be the backup. And if he is to make the team, do the Rams keep three quarterbacks? And if they keep two and he makes the team, that would mean Sean Mayans out the door, which would go against everything that Eric Dickerson just said. So More you, know, you got to start. You start asking yourself, "What's up?" Yeah. And uh, going back on that point, uh, Benjamin Albright's, who obviously we've had on the show a couple times out of Denver. Yeah. Co-host on AM thirteen forty one hundred four point seven out of Denver Boulder, tweeted earlier tonight uh, in a thread that we had put up. Uh, saying Sneed wasn't the one who wanted Mannion, FYI. So just hold that yep. uh, on the cards as we head into camp. Uh, plenty of we talked about we talked about roster battles. We didn't mention QB. That may be something. Even if there's not even if there's not a QB battle for the number one overall spot, uh, seeing how those strings pull out, first string, second string, third string offense, and how that develops a quarterback obviously now is going to be something we're going to have to pay attention to. Another thing we're going to have to pay attention to uh, without a coach on the hot seat is a general manager on hot seat. Uh, since yes, early last year, if not earlier, um, Les Snead has been <laughs> a uh, target of ire among Rams fans. And uh, this week, Rams brought in Brian Sanders, former general manager of the Denver Broncos. We say this on a day when John Elway just got a huge deal with Denver to remain uh, in Colorado at Stan Kroenke's uh, base of operations out there. But Les Snead remains the general manager for the Rams. What do you think about the hiring of Xanders? A lot of people said that this was, you know, one of those things that kind of light a fire under him or that he was a possible replacement being groomed. Um, I, yeah. I say all this while mentioning the Rams fired a couple guys in the front office earlier this year, leaving some, you know, obvious spots open for Xanders to take over. What do you think about the hire? It was an eye-opener, you know, like, when I when I heard the news, I just kind of stopped and was like, okay, so what's up with Les? <laughs> you know, it was kind of my first thought. Yeah. I think that was a lot of people's first thought. You know, uh, is Les gone? <laughs> you know, uh, what's this exact role that Brian Vanders is coming in to have? Um, his having his uh, his expertise already in the field as a general manager, and you know, having ties from Denver, Wade Phillips. So he's got some familiarity with some of the staff already. You really got to kind of wonder, is this, uh, is this that grooming the replacement? It's something you see in the NFL all the time. You know, we, we watched Lovey Smith get fired only for, um, I forget his name now, <laughs> but to, to be brought up as, you know, they bring in offensive corner and it's like a, a dirt cutter, you know, only to be brought up and, hey, this is our new guy now. So, you hear these things and you see them around the league so frequently, it makes you wonder, is, is Les Snead, is this more than just a light of fire under him? Is the writing kind of already on the wall? Or is it indeed to light a fire? And if that fire isn't lit, then the writing will be on the wall or it'll skip the writing and go straight to the, the final decision. I definitely, uh, I definitely think Les needs to be looking over his shoulder, though. I don't think this is any way whatsoever, especially if this, you know, most GMs don't go out and hire GMs. <laughs> you know, that right. that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> you know, so I don't think this was a move that Les Snead uh, made or wanted to make or anything like that. I think this was kind of uh, uh, maybe a Kevin Demoff decision, like, hey, we need to get somebody else in here, you know, to try to right the ship. 
So it, I think that watching the front office moves closely, it, it appears the Rams are really serious about uh, getting everything in order. They're making they're making a lot of different moves, and you mentioned you know get, switching out some guys in the staff earlier in the off season. Well, you know, those guys that was that was uh, fired were handpicked by Les Need. So are we are we seeing the beginning of a shift in the front office? I don't know. I, I, it could be. So I definitely think that Les Need needs to be looking over his shoulder. You know, if we start hearing more names being brought in that's connected to Brian Sanders, I think that that'll pretty much get the picture a little more clear that, yeah, Les Need's time has kind of come to an end. But as of right now, it's probably a little too early to put that in concrete, set it in stone or anything like that. But it is something worth monitoring. You 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 mentioned the idea of Les Need handpicking people, and I just cited the the Albright tweet saying that Snead wasn't the one who wanted Mannion. One of the right. things I think a lo- that, that we don't understand and that hasn't been uh, comprehensively detailed is to what degree Les Snead's role has been in player selection, whether that's good players, Aaron Donald, or whether that's bad players, Greg Robinson, whether that's useless picks, Sean Mannion, or whether that's, really useful picks, guys like Maurice Alexander. Um, right. W- without knowing that, it's kind of hard for me to sit here and say, Les Need has done a good job, bad job, because I don't know what he's been responsible for and what he hasn't. Let, let, me, let me put this to you, Myson. Simple question. Do you think the roster at any time in the last five years, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, do you think any of those rosters was good enough to go to the playoffs? Yes. Absolutely. Um, I think here's, that, here's one of my I weird that, things, and this is where I get – I'm not trying to defend Les Snead. And believe me, I'm not going to be his primary yeah, defender. Yeah. I'm not out here – what's it called, pro bono. I'm not coming out here as a pro bono public defender for Les Snead. But <laughs> and I probably agree with you. If the roster's been good enough to win, and, and, and he's done whatever he's needed to do, whether that was him picking them or him supporting the picks – with scouting reports and personnel development and all whatever else he did, if he wasn't responsible for him, if it was good enough, then how much blame does he deserve for the losing seasons that the Rams have endured while he's been there for the last five years? So as far as the talent goes, and it's so it's hard when you have a situation like the Rams had because you look at the power struggle. Um, I think in 2012, Jeff Fisher comes in and whenever the head coach is right there at the forefront helping pick the GM, you know who's in charge. But after that year, I think things started to really uh, open up a little bit each year after. you. I think that the GM, being Les Snead, began to have a little more say-so. Uh, for example, one thing that – and the rumor came out that Jeff Fisher did not want Jared Goff you know, and he went on record, and as Jeff Fisher would do, considering he's a player's coach, was like, no, of course I wanted him. Is that true? I don't know. But one thing I do know to mm-hmm. be true is it wasn't Jeff Fisher who decided let's go get the first pick to get Jared Goff. It was Les Snead, yeah. which Jeff Fisher and Les Snead both confirmed. At the combine, right. you know, it was Les Snead who said, we're going to move up and we're going to go get the number one pick. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've already talked to the Titans. We talked to John Robinson. As Les Snead said, you know, at the Combine, their suite was right next door to the Titans suite. And if he had the idea of, 
we can go get Jared Goff. <laughs> and so he went next door, worked out a trade on his own without Leslie or without Jeff Fisher even being present. So that tells you right there that yep. Leslie began to have more say so because that was all him. You know, so if anything, you know, if you're if you're gonna tie any player to him, you're gonna tie the most important player, which is kinda convenient because you know, as you said, we don't really sure. know how to grade him to this point. Right. But we do know that Jared Goff is here because of Les Snead. We know that. So if Jared Goff fails, Les Snead fails essentially, you know, just like any other yeah. situation when you're tied to the quarterback. Um, with that being said, though, I think that, you know, as the relationship was rumored to begin to sour between Les Snead and Jeff Fisher, I, I, was, I find it to be a bit ironic that the year that Les Snead makes the biggest move in probably the franchise's history, I can't really think of a move where they made such a big jump and the draft and gave up so much to go get a player, you know, um, the year that he makes that move is the year that the rumors begin that their relationship is starting to sour. So it feels like that power struggle, Les Needs started to win. And if he's just now starting to win it, then that's when I say, so how much control did he really have before this year if, he's just, if the relationship just soured when he started to make boss-like moves? No, I mean, it's one of those dynamics. I remember last year the piece that we got from, I don't remember if it was Sports Illustrated or MMQB, described the relationship between Snead's front office and Fisher's coaching staff as toxic. The, yeah. the specific term they used was high school. Th- those things are dynamic. Those things matter, and they change year to year. Um, it's just one of those things that I think was underreported. I go back to hard knocks. The fact that Les Snead wasn't even the, – he, he, you almost forgot that the Rams had a general manager. If you if you go back yeah. and watch that show, the feeling that you get is less need is not an important part of that franchise. And I just think that was a it was an interesting way to represent things going into their first year in Los Angeles. And like you said, if Les Need was the architect of the Jared Goff trade, given how much hype he had and that move that draft move had to bring him in and catapult the Rams into Los Angeles. I just, uh, just find it strange that that was how things were framed. I dropped a uh, piece for you to take a look at in Slack. While you bring that up, I'll go ahead and dr- intro it. Uh, last Friday, we got uh, a 53-man roster projection. I'll update mine at some point this week. The one I did, I don't remember when I did it, June or May. Yeah. I think it was post-draft. I did a 53-man roster projection. Alden Gonzalez from ESPN, which, by the way, if you haven't been reading his series on the five things the Rams need to do uh, to succeed moving forward, Great series. I've told him. I've retweeted it. Uh, go check it out. Great stuff from Alden. Um, he's got his 53-man roster projection. A couple surprises here and there. Uh, you know, I, I think it's worth uh, bringing up. Was there anything in there that surprised you? I'll start with myself. Uh, a couple things that surprised me. Number one, he had Corey Harkey uh, as making the team along with yeah. Sam Rogers. Uh, I was a bit surprised yeah. at that. Um, wide receivers, he went seven wide. He, t- he put everybody in there. Austin, Cooper, Cup, Marquez, Reynolds, Spruce, Woods. He had all seven of them. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, offensive line, he had Austin Blythe making the team, going nine wide. So, excuse me, no Jake Elgincamp, no Daryl Williams. Um, defensive line, for a three-man front, he had seven down linemen. I thought that was that interesting. Was you don't interesting. see <laughs> – yeah, you know, you don't you don't see a lot of positions that get not only backups but backups to backups. Just really strange. Um, and then you know you go through the rest of it. I thought that was pretty clear cut between the linebackers, the cornerbacks, and the safeties. Uh, the, the the only thing I might suggest is that the, the Rams went so heavy 
on uh, defense in this. They went 33 on defense compared to 31 on offense. I do wonder the dynamic of Wade Phillips, you know, with his experience as a defensive coordinator, with his experience as a head coach. Are those things that may affect the 53-man roster as we get closer to it later in the summer? What do you think, man? You know, I I think we had a lot of the same uh, things that stood out to us. Like, when I was looking at it, I was just like, man, seven receivers, like – it's not that it's unheard of. It happens. There's usually at least one or two teams a year that actually keep seven receivers, but that's one or two out of 32. So it's not it's not a common thing, but it's common enough to happen every year. So it's, it's interesting that he sees the Rams as keeping them now, considering, and uh, I, I touched on this a little bit last week when we were talking, you know, he, does, uh, he being Sean McVay does like to break those uh, substitutions at receivers now. As you alluded to, it doesn't necessarily always equate to targets, but he does like to put those other bodies on the field pretty frequently. Like, as far as snap counts go, he he mixes it up a bit, especially when you start looking at those third and fourth receivers. He puts in so many different type of body types. Um, I think the most interesting thing as far as that receiver part goes, you know, he left off Mike uh, Mike Thomas, which was very interesting, yeah. you know, with the suspension and everything. Now, with the suspension, a decision for Mike Thomas, which is what makes the leaving him off the initial 53, makes it a little, you know, jaded or, you know, can kind of you lose sight of it. A, a decision doesn't have to be made on him until after the, the suspension. So that can really change after four weeks. You know, will they keep him after once he's time for him, once he's eligible to play again, or will they go ahead and waive him? You know, what what's going to happen with, with Mike Thomas? It's, it's not going to be final after the last week of the uh, preseason. It, it's not going to be final yet. There's, there's still going to be a decision to be made. So I, I wouldn't completely get too crazy about the fact that he's left off, but I was very shocked to see Corey Harkey make the uh, 53. I, yeah. I, I can't say at any point this offseason I have thought that was going to be a possibility. But when reading what he said, I think he makes you know a compelling argument. You know, he does bring that leadership, which – you know, under a new coach, new coach, he needs as much help as he can get. He needs guys that's going to help him get the locker room in order. You know, so I, I think it makes a, I think it makes a little bit of a sense that you would see someone leave a Corey Harkey on there. Do I ultimately think it's going to happen? Eh, probably not. But I can't say that after being surprised this time, seeing someone say that, that if it actually happened, I don't think I would be surprised again. I'd probably just be like, okay, that that makes sense now that I've thought about it. But the seven defensive linemen, that one took me back. I don't I don't think that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see that. Especially I think it's, it's probably going to be Especially who things. he had on that defensive line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look at it, I mean, everybody – Brockers, Donald Easley, okay, everybody's comfortable with that. Matt Longacre, Mike Purcell, Tanzel Smart, and Ethan Westbrooks. Now, I, I get the idea of special teams assistance. That's, a, that's deep. That's deep for a defensive line. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned special teams, but if, if you've got seven receivers, you know two of them are going to play special teams. And if you've got and that, seven linebackers, you know three of them or three or four of them are going to play special teams. Then you've got ten DBs, a lot of them are going to play special teams. So how much yeah. special teams are you going to really need here? You know, so yeah. I, 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 that, that seven on defensive line is a, a head scratcher for me. Yeah, and in the secondary, you've got Mike Jordan at cornerback and Blake Countess as a safety. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just I just find it strange that uh, you, you had all that special teams in there. Um, yeah, it's a lot. 
Yep, exactly. Uh, USA Today, this is one today that uh, Sosa got up for us, Sosa Kermenas. Y'all can follow him at Sosa NFL Draft, S-O-S-A, like Sammy. Oh, Sammy Sosa. I don't want to get into that. I don't, have, you see, have you seen pictures of Sammy Sosa, man? <laughs> man, I, I don't want to. Like let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's put it like this. Google Sammy Sosa. Take, take a look at old Please. Sammy if you haven't. Please do and then <laughs> add us on Twitter when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talked about blog blog lives matter, we need to we need to have hashtag Sammy Social Lives Matter. Um, USA Today had full record projections. They went division by division, uh, guessed the win loss record for everybody uh, in the league. For the Rams, not uh, all that encouraging. They had us going four and twelve, man. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> it's a first-year head coach, quite a bit of roster turnover. Um, Jared Goff didn't didn't really do anything to provide hope for people, <laughs> you know, going into yeah. the season. You know, there's there's so many question marks on this team, and you know, it's real it's realistic to say that they're arguably, you know, the team with the most question marks going into the season. Um, and it's I think that's kind of what excites some fans, the fact that there's sure. so much so much you don't know what can happen, you can almost just when you know, like when Jeff Fisher's at the helm for four years, you kind of got a good you feeling know. of how this season's going to go. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. but when you don't yeah. know, you can kind of create your own reality. You know, you can, all, you can pretty much just say, hey, I think this is going to happen and no one can tell you your opinion is wrong because there's nothing to back up their opinion. You know, so yeah. I, I, I think that if you see 4-12, and 12, I think you can equally find someone that truly believes that the Rams will go, you know, be a surprise to make the playoffs. You know, that I don't think that that's uh, far-fetched at all, that someone would think either way. I, I think the difference is with, with Jeff Fisher, you had a really high floor and a really low ceiling. Now yeah. I think it's almost impossible to know what the hell the floor ceiling for this team is. Uh, I saw – Rich Hammond did a Q&A. Oh, man, I wish I had it up. Let me try to bring it up so I can shout them out because I don't want to leave our fellow uh, Rams fan media out in the cold. But Rich Hammond did a Q&A, Rams fans united, uh, our friends from the preseason schedule, had a great Q&A uh, about how many wins uh, the team could end up with and how many they might not be able to win. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, that he was looking at kind of a, uh, a scale of where they could go. And he said, I wouldn't, this is his words. I'm quoting now direct quote. I wouldn't be shocked if the Rams went nine and seven in 2017. And I wouldn't be surprised if they went four and 12 again. And I think now end quote, I think that's the real interesting thing about the 2017 Rams is that they, they've got a much wider variance of, of how they could perform uh, because you've got new coaches, you've got new schemes coming, you've got all kinds of stuff going on. And I think you're right. The, the big questions that they have are roster issues and not necessarily, you know, coaching or culture issues or, or off-field readiness, those kind of things. Uh, and I think it does, it does create this interest in who knows where Sean McVay and this coaching staff is going to set the bar, because I sure as hell don't. It's, uh, it's, it's so it's – so, it, it's been a while. You know, we haven't really seen a uh, head coach – hold that position for as long as Jeff Fisher has in a long time. Uh, even when Without the Rams winning. were good, <laughs> even when the Rams were good, even when the Rams were, were winning, you know, 15, 16 years ago, they still didn't have a head coach at the helm that long. You know, you look at Dick Vermeil, he was gone very quickly. 
And Mike Martz, when he took over, he was there at the position for, what, three years? So it, it, you, we haven't seen a lot of stability at the head coach position. So it's been a while since we've had to wait so long to have that feeling of not knowing what's going to happen with this head coach. And now the, now that feeling is there. So you're, st- you're starting to see predictions all over the place. You know, you're, you're hearing all kinds of things. And it's, I, me personally, I think it's really interesting. I think it makes for a good conversation and a good offseason to kind of – I mentioned last week, this offseason is the most I've heard the Rams' name mentioned that I don't know how long. You know, they've been, they've been mentioned a lot. You're seeing them all over the place. And it's, all, it's almost like everyone has an opinion right now. You know, so – I, I think it's I think it's good good discussion, but then it's also a lot of good points are made that kind of makes you step back and say, well, what what do you expect from this team? You know, is this going to be another drag along, fight it out, try to scrape up a couple of wins at the end of the season type of year, or are we going to see that type? Are we going to see that uh, big time leap? You know, see some uh, different, see a different team out there where they can really become something. And again, I mentioned that last week that doesn't mean that they're going to have a better record. But even sure. if they are 4-12, and 12, you can definitely see a team that's making leaps and bounds and getting better. You know, um, no, the Rams no. were 4-12 and 12 last year, but as I said plenty of times so far this offseason, they were 4-12, and 12, but to me they were the la- dead last worst team in the league. You know, worse than the 49ers, and it, I don't think it's even close. Uh, the two games against the 49ers would suggest that maybe not the uh, most unrealistic take. Um, let's yeah. say this. Uh, you talked about drag on, what did you say, scroll along? I don't know. You got a natural segue that was there that I botched. Aaron Donald contract yeah. discussions, man. It, let, let me put yeah. it to you like this. We've already seen him skip some opportunities. And it's not that anything against Aaron Donald. It's not that he needs to – Aaron Donald don't need to show up at OTAs. Aaron Donald don't he need really to show doesn't. up in the gym. with the. Come on, man. He doesn't. Um, let me ask you this. Let's make it a binary question. Do you think an Aaron Donald contract happens before week one? Oh, man. This is the hardest question, Camp, to me, because I keep going back and forth. A part of me says yes, but then I can also really – well, the way I look at the way, the way I look at how contract situations have been handled. Now, this is where you have to step back and say you can't blame this on Jeff Fisher because Jeff Fisher wasn't negotiating contracts. <laughs> so, is this let me just this demo off whoever the hell it is? Somebody has botched a lot of contract situations in recent years. Um, with Aaron Donald being the best player in the league. Well, at least the defensive side of the ball, best defensive player in the league, arguably. Can they still botch it? Yes, because mm-hmm. they messed up so bad. Sure <laughs> you know, they messed up so bad. It it leaves it leaves so much doubt that they can get it right now. Um, I keep going back to the Tremaine Johnson situation. I think this is the absolutely worst handled contract situation I have ever seen. Because you think Tremaine Johnson is working the Tavon Austin deal? Yes, I do. Here's <laughs> why. <laughs> Here's why. Let me explain this. Yeah. I look at Tavon Austin. Um, would I have given him, a, you know, a four-year contract, five if you add in the player option, you know, worth up over $42 million? Absolutely not. Before his because fourth year. The, time, the yeah. timing of that is important, too. Exactly. That 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 you know that that says a lot. 
Um, would I have extended him? Yes. Would it have been for that long? No. Would it have been for that much? No. It would have been kind of a cure him, you know, because I think he's done enough to be secured, but to be put in the position of being the highest paid at any point throughout the duration of his the rest of his contract, which he's, I think, the third highest paid this year, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot for me. Um, I, I personally wouldn't have took that route. I've done more like a two-year extension. But, you know, you're still young, so two years wouldn't be something where you'd be like, okay, at the end of this contract, I'm going to be too old, or you're still going to be in your – you should still be in your prime when that two years is up. You know, so that's the kind of approach I probably would have took. But with Tremaine Johnson, it's so sloppy. Is Tremaine Johnson a good player? Yes. Is he a good corner? Yeah. Is he one of the top corners in the league? Well, depending on how top you're talking. Is he talking top 10? No. You're talking top 15 or 20? Yeah, you can make that argument. Twenty, I think top 20 is pretty much virtually a guarantee no matter who you ask. They're probably going to say he's a top 20 corner. Um, top 15, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about top 15, what top? how many top 10 corners are even making $11 million a year? yet alone being one of the top paid. You know, there's only so many. Um, And Tremaine Johnson isn't a top ten corner. Now, to franchise tag him last year, fine. I think a lot of people could handle that. I don't think that he was the right choice. I said it last year. I thought the right choice was Janoris Jenkins. I felt like they both could have been re-signed. The Rams had the cap space. But they blew blew a lot of money on on Mark Barrett. But however, and Tavon, yeah, you know, I, they 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 could have signed them both, but whatever. Janoris is gone now. The focus is how they botched this Tremaine Johnson deal to turn around and give him another franchise tag. You know, at this point, and you can say, oh, Wade Phillips has been coaching longer than both you and I have been alive. To say yeah. he doesn't know, it's for less me to say we we don't know if he's a good yeah. fit. What the <laughs> biggest ridiculous. goal to be? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because if anybody knows how to watch film and figure out if this player is a good <laughs> fit for them, it's Wade Phillips. <laughs> you know, so I, this was this was a deflection of blame is at its finest. Um, and that was one of my. It was now, really, that was a, what was great about that line was it came in front of the draft. So they they literally yeah. said, yeah, we we have no idea how this guy is going to do until he comes to practice. Now we're about to go draft some players that will define the, our capability of the defense for the next three years. Exactly. And then what did they do? They didn't draft a single corner. <laughs> and so it's like it's like what the hell is going on here? You know. So you're in a position where you're not resigning him. You spent you spent thirty three million dollars on him close to 34 or something like that in the past two years. (laughs) Like, let's let's put this into context. We're talking about top corners like Patrick Peterson and, you know, Malcolm Butler didn't even get a deal. (laughs) Or Janoris Jones, you know, look at some of the deals. Nobody's even within $5 million a year of what Jermaine Johnson has made the past two years. (laughs) And you're going to tell me that you still don't know what you want to do with him? Like, you just wasted this much money, and you're coming out and saying, well, we don't know what we're going to do. And now the deadline has come and gone. He, you know, he's already signed his. He's just like, whatever, I'm going to collect. And I honestly think that at this point, 
he's probably going to leave. <laughs> you know, so he might, look, if he leaves. Look at Kirk Cousins leaves, in Washington. He, Kirk Cousins got his two franchise tags. Yeah, but that's different. Kirk Cousins is worth it. <laughs> that's a huge difference. <laughs> that's cold. Kirk, Kirk Cousins, that's cold. Kirk Cousins <laughs> the best quarterback? It is cold, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, is Kirk Cousins <laughs> the best quarterback in the league? Absolutely not. But at this market, if you're a top yeah. quarterback, and top quarterback being top 10, top 15 even, you're going to get Kirk's $20 million a year. Yeah, Kirk's going to get He's going to get more than that. He'll get more than that. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying that's the base. <laughs> that's what the top yeah. 15 quarterbacks are going to get a year, $20 million a year. Yeah, no, no. That's, that's fact. You're getting that. You know, so if, if Kirk Cousins is getting franchise tag, you know, last year I think the tag for him was $22 million. This year it's like $25 million. Right. Well, yeah, of course, because he's going to get that money. Even if he resigns, he's going to get somewhere around though that 22 to 25, so probably somewhere in a happy medium, 23 and a half, 24. That's going to be his next contract a year. So it makes sense to, to franchise tag him twice. It doesn't make sense because there's no cornerback in the league that's making that much money. And considering there's no quarterback in the league, I'm confused on how the tag is even that high. Isn't it supposed to be rounded out from the – the average of each corners, the top five corners, or something like that, total salary, and then well, the second it, one is supposed to be like a percentage up. So I'm like, how in yeah, the world well, is he making more than every corner? Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the top it, five salaries or a twenty percent raise, whichever one's more. Yeah, it's the most bought so, by far. Yeah, let me let me ask you this, and then we'll get to uh, fan questions. Uh, who would you rather re-sign this year? We obviously know everybody wants to re-sign Aaron Donald. Who would you rather re-sign this year, Truman Johnson or Alec Ogletree, if you can only have one? Oh, that is a great question. Either way, you're going to be screwed. <laughs> you're going to be left with a glaring <laughs> hole. <laughs> you're going to be left with a glaring hole no matter what. I do find it to be interesting, and I'm going to answer the question, but I do find it to be interesting that contract talks have yet to even begin with Alec Ogletree. I find that to be very yeah. interesting. That is, again, I just think that the way they handle contracts is so poor. <laughs> you know, they they do it all wrong, and it, it's evident by how many players they've lost players they've lost over the past couple of years. But if I had to pick one, yeah. I would pick Tremaine Johnson. Here's why: yeah. um, easier to find a good linebacker than it is to find a good corner. And in today's <laughs> NFL, with as much as they pass. You have to have – you really have to have three good corners. But if you don't have any, because right now Tremaine Johnson is the only sure thing there. You know, he's the only one where you're like, okay, I'm comfortable. And again, is he the yep. top ten corner? No, but is he a corner that what you can put out there and you could be comfortable? Yes. You know, you know he's not going to go out there and give up a bunch of big plays a game. Maybe a big, big play, you know, two or three big plays a year. I can live with that. <laughs> you know, I think anyone could live with that. You know, because that's pretty pretty standard. But as for outside of him, you don't know. And when you look at linebacker, it's a lot easier to find a good linebacker than it is to find a guy who could go out there and cover. It's, it's just that's just the truth. So if I had to pick between Tremaine Johnson and Alec Ogletree, I'm taking Tremaine. I think we talked about less need and his responsibilities. I think maybe more than anything. The legacy, only because it's it's an easy soundbite that he is going to have to live up to uh, more than anything, is priority A. The idea that uh, at the combine, I was there in person, I was sitting, I think, second row, uh, what was it, two years ago, 
um, or I guess a year ago, that he offered the idea that re-signing the secondary was priority A, which at the time was Trumaine Johnson, Janoris Jenkins, Rodney McLeod, and TJ McDonald. Three of the four are already on another team. The fourth one, Trumaine Johnson, is on a second consecutive tag and may not sign long-term. So it may be one of those things where more than anything, if your priority A is something that you go 0 for 4 at over a two-year course, uh, priority B and priority C aren't going to be enough to save your job. We'll have to see. We'll have to see about less need. Uh, man, let's kick it over to the fan questions. you got to hold on that. I know we had a couple for this week. What we got? Yeah, we definitely got a couple. Uh, one of my favorites, actually, um, let's see, let me get back over to it. I want, I want to make sure I get the name right here. It was in regards to what receivers are going to make the uh, roster this year. I thought that was I thought that was a good question, and we touched on it a little bit with the seven receivers. You know that was that was that stood out, but I don't think it's completely um, out of the realm of possibility because you know you do have Sean McVay who wants to air it out, and you know he wants to um, get, switch it up and get guys get guys in there a lot. Uh, that question came from who did ask that question. I'll tell you who after after I answer it. Um, as far as who's going to be the receivers to make the team, <laughs> I'll tell you, as far as who's going to be the receivers to make the team, uh, you know, I think we got the top three on lock. Uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot this offseason. Tavon Austin, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, they're in there. You know, Josh Reynolds is probably in there because of draft capital. Now, that's not a guarantee. I say this a lot, and I can't stress it enough. This is the NFL they value business over everything. <laughs> um, we've seen third-round picks get cut before. We actually picked up a third-round pick who was waived, Joe Barksdale, waived by the Raiders <laughs> at the end mm-hmm. of their camp, and that paid off well for us. Another botched contract situation by this front office, might I add. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, it paid off well for us. Um, Joe Barksdale is doing well with the Chargers now, so he's a good player, but he still ended up getting waived. So, just because you're a third-round pick, uh, you know, or a third or fourth-round pick, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be in there. I think that most of the time people look at it and say, oh, you know, you're a fifth, sixth, or seventh pick. You're probably, you got the chances of you getting cut is higher. That's true. But it doesn't guarantee you to make the team if you're a third or fourth-round pick. But Josh Reynolds, I think he makes it. Uh, so you got Cooper Cup, you got Tavon Austin, Robert Woods, Josh Reynolds. And then that's where it kind of gets murky. I really think there's a good chance that Nelson Spruce makes the team. I'm not a Nelson Spruce fan. I think everyone knows this. <laughs> and it's not that I don't like the guy. I just think that you could do better. You know, if you're gonna keep, if you're gonna have him, then you should have kept Austin Pettis. That's how I feel. I feel like he's another Austin Pettis, who I liked. <laughs> you know, so I just feel like if you're not gonna if you're not if you're gonna get rid of Austin Pettis, what's the point of having a Nelson Spruce? <laughs> it's the same player. <laughs> you know. Um, I think he makes the team. Though I just think he's kind of a, a, a Sean McVay guy, and I'm I'm still I'm still of the the mindset that after the suspension, Mike Thomas will be brought back. But until you know you then, ain't giving I up on Mike Thomas that easy. You yeah, knew you weren't I, giving I, up I, on I Mike think, Thomas I that think easy. I think he's going to be brought back. Now, before he's brought back, uh, I think that there's a pretty good chance we're going to see Farrell Cooper make the team, who I think has kind of been forgotten about. No one's talked about him. It was so <laughs> much talk about him last year. No one said anything about him this entire offseason. So, so I think there's a, a a good chance that we could see uh, Farrell Cooper make the team and 
uh, he might even stick around after you know the after the suspension is up for um, Mike Thomas. Yeah. So those are my six. No. Mike Thomas having the possibility of coming back on. Uh, you got a better feel for it than I do. I really don't have a feel because I just don't know. I don't. I don't know what's going to be asked. Um, you know, we've talked about the idea that Tavon Austin is going to take over the Deshaun Jackson role, and that's been made public. But, but like, who who would be his backup for that role? I don't. I don't. I, maybe it's Mike Thomas, but in his absence, who would it be? I have no idea. Um, who, if we're talking, if we're talking about Cooper Cup as a slot receiver, and that's not Tavon yeah. Austin, who's his backup? I have, I have zero clue. I guess Farrell Cooper. But then, then you talk about uh, Robert Woods and who on the outside? I, I don't. Maybe it's Josh Reynolds. Maybe it's not. Who's their problem? I just have no feel for the role because now you're talking about four different roles, and, and so yeah. backups would make that eight deep, and that which isn't if you if you go eight deep. I mean, take Alden Gonzalez, the 53 man, for example. You want to add another wide receiver, and now you've got to take someone away. Even if you take away the defensive line, which would be easy to be primary, you've still got some questionable additions in there. So I, I don't know. I don't have a good feeling on the wide receiver. I think the big thing that we have to try to realize is I think with the, the, it's been so – it's custom because over the last 70 years, however long it's been, the NFL has been around, that – it's been this receiver is this outside the receiver, this receiver is this slot receiver, and this receiver is this outside receiver. But as times have changed and, you know, new coaching philosophies have, you know, come alive, and Sean McVay is definitely a young coach who brings this new age sort of thought. Right. Guys don't really have a set spot. <laughs> you know, you see guys playing yeah, all over maybe not. the field. And, 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 and I think that that's kind of – well, that's kind of what uh, opens it up a bit because then, you know, it's not so much of who's going to back up the slot. It's going to be who's able to play the slot and then bounce outside, <laughs> you know, who's able to come in and make this block, you know. So and if you're looking at similarities to kind of get a feel for it, you know, let's just say we know the top three receivers are going to be Tavon Austin, Robert Woods, and 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 then uh, uh, Cooper Cup. You can look at say, say, okay, Cooper Cup. Who on the roster is similar to Cooper Cup? Well, we have Nelson Spruce over there. He's pretty similar, sure. almost the exact same size, even. <laughs> you know, you look at uh, you look at uh, Robert Woods, and you say, okay, well, but who's similar to Robert Woods? You know, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest. You know, he's just got solid hands. He's got quick. You know, I would say probably Farrell Cooper. They're almost identical in size. They're pretty close to each other. You know, so I think there's similarities for guys that's playing behind those top three, where you can say, okay, these guys are probably the most similar. But the flip side to that is when you have that new age thinking, coaches tend to like um, different skill sets on the field where they can bring a guy out and put someone else in that brings something completely different from what they just had. So I think it's more, I think the question is more so who's different that could bring something, who brings something to the table that someone else doesn't have as opposed to who's going to play the X or who's going to play the Y or who's going to play the Z, you know, I think it's probably more so what do you bring that we don't already have? You, you talk about the, the idea. I, how about this? I said I didn't have a good feel for the wide receivers. You want to make me have less of a field? Tell me that there are no roles for everybody to have, that anybody <laughs> could play any wide receiver. That's just, I, 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 it's going to make my 53-man projection that much harder. Uh, what else we got from the <laughs> questions, man? Mind blown, right? <laughs> um, 
so next question out there. We actually this was this was more so of um, I thought a, a good point a good point of reference to look at what we've been talking about the past couple of years. And the question was: by the end of 2017, which areas should we uh, not expect to be improved over the end of the 2016 season? Which I thought was because that was yeah. that was from a fan, and that was a completely different perspective because it wasn't who's going to be better, it's who's not going to be better, which I thought was really, yeah. really interesting. Like, what, who do you got there? I'll take two. I'll take the pass rush, and I'll take the offensive line. Um, and it's not a knock on the uh, people that were brought in. Staying in the agency. trenches. Uh, prim- do I? <laughs> Staying in the trenches, I see. <laughs> Stay, well, that's where I start with football, man. And, and, and again, yeah. this goes back to why I didn't want Todd Gurley in the first place. If you can't block, you can't run. It doesn't matter how damn good your running back is. There's nowhere for him to go. Yeah. Uh, and as as much as I like Andrew Whitworth from, you know, 2010 to 2015, I much rather would have had him five years ago than the 35-year-old version uh, where we don't know who his backup is. And, and you're almost entirely reliant on Andrew Whitworth saving this offensive line single-handedly. Uh, you know, it, the idea of a position switch for Rob Havenstein and Jamon Brown saving things on the right side, I think that may be a Dunkirk move. No, I just saw the movie today, so it's top of the mind. It's a desperation <laughs> move, right, where they're, they're trying to save something out of the right side without having had to – uh, spend resources on it. John Sullivan started one game in the last two years, man. I, I get it. You know, Tim Barnes, Jeff Fisher, the, uh, Rob Boris, the guys that aren't here are easy scapegoats. But that doesn't mean that John Sullivan is all of a sudden a Pro Bowl center. Uh, you know, Roger Sheffield is what he is. He's competent. Uh, he's got he's got an injury history that he's he avoided last year. I just worry that between these five guys that uh, – for a, for a unit that was not good at all last year, that we're assuming they're going to get better. Just like Brandon, one of my favorite pieces in the history of Turf Show Time. Seriously, if you got time, uh, I'll try to remember to post it in the show write-up on the site. Go back and look at Brandon Bates' write-up on the offensive line a year ago. I think it was last August, asking whether that line would be better, the same, or worse as it was for this last year, 2016, than it was in 2015. And almost to a man – Everybody said it was going to be better for various reasons, because the chemistry they had working together, because these young guys are going to get individually better, because, you know, Greg Robinson was finally going to have a breakthrough, that Rob Boris was better than Frank Signetti, that finally, you know, Paul Boudreaux was going to get to work as man. Every reason they had was why the offensive line was going to get better, and it quite clearly played worse. And so I, I just think this assumption that everything's going to get better it, it, outside of Andrew Whitworth, even if Andrew Whitworth, and I, I've said it all along, the best thing they did to the offensive line wasn't who they got. It's who they got rid of. It was getting rid of Greg Robinson. That that addition by subtraction was probably more important than anything. Uh, but assuming that the offensive line is going to play better is something I worry about. The pass rush, you got Connor Barwin, a 30-year-old pass rusher coming over on a one-year deal. You got Robert Quinn, who's missed half of the, each of the last two seasons, moving into a 3-4 outside linebacker role that may or may not be all that different from what he was doing. That that's going to be your pass rush that has to match up to what Wade Phillips had in Denver with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. That's asking a hell of a lot, man. And, and, and if you don't have a pass rush, if you don't have a top pass rush, I have no idea how you expect Wade Phillips to be able to put together a top defense. Yeah, I, I think you. I think you. I think you're on to something there um, because part of the reason that Wade Phillips can do his press man and just go out there and just beat up on receivers 
is because the pass rusher, they're getting after you. You know, so it, it gives you the ability to go out there and blitz the hell out of the quarterback and you know, be <laughs> yeah. able to be in, man, be in the man as much as you want. But if you're not able to get to the quarterback and you're playing that press, Oh, you're gonna you're gonna have a long day at the office. So I think you're I think you're definitely on to something. And I, let's just be honest: the the pass rush, unless Robert Quinn can stay healthy, because I've mentioned this over and over this offseason, I think Robert Quinn is still the pass rusher he's been. He just has not been healthy so. in the few games. In the few games yeah. he has been healthy over the past two years, you know, I like to go back to the the Seahawks game this past play. year or the Bucks the Bucks game that that fumble that forced fumble where we go and score. It's beautiful, or you know how he chases down Jamin Winston to seal the game. It's beautiful. He's still that player. He just has not been able to stay healthy the past two seasons. If he's if he's back is healthy, the concussion issue is gone. You know, if all that stuff is in the past, I think the pass rush will be improved because Aaron Donald is yeah. going to be Aaron Donald, and if you have Aaron, Aaron Donald and a healthy a healthy still dominant pass rusher, Robert Quinn. All of a sudden, everyone else's lives gets easier. Connor Barber is going to look like a Greek god out there <laughs> because yeah. so much attention will be elsewhere. You know, so I, I think a lot of the pass rush really revolves around Robert Quinn. I think he's kind of the key to everything to make it really go. He could so, be. And that's when I say everything, I mean everything. Again, if you're going to play that type of defense, you need your pass rush. So for the secondary to look good. You need Robert Quinn, you know. So I, I think Robert Quinn's health and ability to play as he's played it before is kind of going to be the the key to everything on that defense. Yeah, um, I, I, here's here's part of why why I got concerned, and then we can move on about the pass rush. Yeah, go back a couple of years ago, who we had as a starting front four on the defensive line and the depth. We had the five first round picks. You had Robert Quinn, uh, Chris Long, Aaron Donald. Michael Brockers, Nick Fairley, and then depth on the outside, you had Eugene Sims and William Hayes. That's not just a good group. That's a deep group. That's where yeah. William Hayes was a starter last year. That's where you rotate guys in that are almost as good as your starters and are just killing backups, that are killing tired offensive linemen. Now, I don't, I don't, we're going to have to see in training camp, I don't know who Robert Quinn and Connor Barwin's backups are going to be. I don't know who's going to spell Aaron Donald in are those guys going to be anywhere as good as those the, the guys I just mentioned were two years ago? I doubt it. And if that's the case, that that's where you start talking about not just you know hoping Robert Quinn is as good as he has been in years past, but needing him to be. Because if he's not, then the Rams are facing a serious issue. And I think you you hit it dead on the head. Needing him is kind of the the emphasis. You, he's going to have to be. And that's, there's no other way around it. That worries um, me. That worries me. Yeah, exactly. The health has been a huge issue. You know, one <laughs> one you know one year missing a few games that's one thing. Back to back years, then you start to wonder: <laughs> is the body breaking down? We'll see. Um, <laughs> the next, the next, this isn't so much of a uh, question, but more so a conversation that kind of was provoked from last week's uh, show, where we talked about. Gurley, could he be someone that would get traded? I don't think he'd get released because I think after this season, even if he has a repeat of last season, you could find a trade partner. <laughs> you know, so is he someone that the Rams could move on from? And it kind of started a little bit of a conversation, a little bit of a debate that you know you had fans that was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, one fan said that it was a uh, 
it would be a PR nightmare. And the other is <laughs> just like, you know, if you if you if you if you're produ if you're not producing, you're performing the way he's performing. You're probably not going to last long, you know. So it was kind of now fifty-five yards per game is the PR nightmare. Exactly, <laughs> you know. So and, and so the I guess this the 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 conclusion I drew from this discussion here was at what point is enough enough? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. my question. What point is enough enough? You know, where where does where does that line in the sand get drawn where you say this player needs, either needs to perform or get the hell out? And, you know, I covered it quite a bit after the season when I uh, wrote about Todd Gurley and what we've seen from him over the past two seasons. Listen, folks, Todd Gurley has not lit the NFL on fire. To light the NFL on fire, you have to do it consistently over a course of a, a certain amount of games. If you play for one year, you need you can't have four good games <laughs> and then that be, oh, wow, this player is the second coming of whoever – Whoever you wanted to say they compared him to, they compared him to so many people. You know, four good games out of two seasons is not enough to say this player is some great running back. It's just not the case. And another piece of that, um, and I question, and people like to say, oh, well, you look at the 49ers game, he broke that long run and he scored. That was the only one. Todd Gurley was caught on every other run he broke. Were they all good runs? Yeah. But he was caught. You know, it wasn't like he. So I question if is he ever going to be as explosive as he was his first two seasons at Georgia, because I've seen him get get caught by a lot of players now. <laughs> you know, and this is routine. You know, when he breaks into the open field, where a lot of guys go score, you look at the best backs, and this is why I continue to say, is Ty Gurley ever going to develop into that best back, uh, one of the best in the NFL type of backs? Because yeah. when you talk about the best backs, the things they do, you don't see Ty Gurley doing. For example, even with a bad offensive line, creating your own yards. Steven Jackson did it behind the rims in a worst offense for years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And then you look at guys, LaShawn McCoy, or forget that. We won't even go with somebody that fast. We'll say LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrette Blunt, I've never sure. seen him get caught from behind when he gets gone. <laughs> when he gets a big back, gets into the open field, if he breaks for 40 yards and there's no one in front of him, he's probably going to score. That has not always been the case with Ty Gurley. You know, so I, I, I'm questioning what, what is the point that fans kind of take that step back and say, okay, it is possible that Ty Gurley can be moved on from. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think it's just like the Sean Mannion this year. I think you've got two things going on. Number one, you've got losing football. And number two, you have baseline statistics, rushing yards that aren't overwhelming. And I think as long as you've got, or in the case of Sean Mannion and Jared Goff, you're talking about passing yards, right? Uh, I think right. as long as you've got those things working against whoever is starting, and we gotta, you got to remind me to do this, it's going to be hashtag the grass is always greener. Um, you know, if Jared, if Jared Goff is throwing 480 yards a game and the Rams are losing, it, it doesn't matter if he's doing what the coaching staff is telling him to or if it's not his fault. People are going to want to see whoever else there is. If Todd Gurley is running for 55 yards a game because there's nowhere to run and there's nothing else he could possibly do, it's not going to matter. People want to, going to want to see who else could do it. Um, and that's just, the, that's just the nature of 
you know, the human condition of wanting to see what other options there are. And I think, uh, you know, if, if that continues, it's, it, I, I wouldn't be surprised. The, the, the interesting dynamic here is trading, right? A trade yeah. is not moving on. A trade is getting something for him. Remember, we got something for Greg Robinson. That's still – I still struggle to understand the economy <laughs> of the NFL. Team gives us something for Greg Robinson. That's – I don't know, man. That's one of those things where I, I just have to admit that I don't understand the NFL economy as well as I would like to think well, I do. Um, I and think, if that's I the case, maybe, maybe there's somebody to give us something for him. When you talk about trades with the Rams, I think you have to give Leslie credit. If nothing else, he's one of the best traders in the NFL. The man can make trades happen. <laughs> it's just that simple. In, in, maybe it's, a, it's just a matter of knowing people and having relationships to be able to do that kind of stuff where you, you can reach out and say, hey, I know somebody who's interested in this kind of a situation. Uh the, the one thing I would note that I think is a little bit strange, and I want to bring this up just to make sure I'm accurate here, the Rams traded Greg Robinson to the Lions for a sixth-round draft pick next year. So a sixth-rounder for Greg Robinson, who is still quite young. I'll be, I mean, we all agree that he's disappointed. Let me bring up the official age so that I can get this right. You get, you, we got to do this now. This is I know it's 2017. Facts don't matter anymore, but I want to try to make – Special radio as fact based as I can. He's 24 years old. He's going to turn 25 in October. Greg Robinson. That right. Very not long. Not long before, three months prior to trading Greg Robinson, the Rams traded William Hayes and a seventh round pick to Miami Dolphins for a sixth round pick. So here's the question: Who would you rather have, Greg Robinson or William Hayes and a seventh round pick? I think that's that's a fascinating dynamic and one that the economy answered <laughs> is that they're equal. You know what? I'm going to have to make sure I tweet that out, and I want people to answer that question because that's a hell of a question. <laughs> that's a really, really, right? really good question <laughs> because, yes, he's been he's been a, a major disappointment. He's been a bust, um, but he's 24 years old, and he's arguably the most talented tackle in the NFL, <laughs> you know. So that's a very good question because, as you can see, Teams are still willing to take a chance on him, and he's right now, okay. from what I just read maybe three days ago, he's penciled in as the starter, and it looks like he's going to be the starter for the Lions <sighs> at left tackle at left tackle going into the season, you know, so, because Taylor Decker got hurt. So that, that kind of tells you teams are still willing to take that risk on him. It makes you wonder, <laughs> it makes you wonder if the Rams held on to him and there was more – injuries, because you know there's going to be another left tackle that gets hurt. There's always multiple injuries for every position. The Rams held on to him a little longer going into camp. Someone else gets hurt. Does his value increase? That's not the thing to think about. So, <laughs> Just for reference, William Hayes, <laughs> William Hayes, 32 years old. So you get a 32-year-old defensive end, much, much, much higher NFL-level production plus a seventh-rounder yes. versus a 24-year-old Greg Robinson. Make sure you get that out. I want to see the answer to that, man. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely will. Well, that that wraps up our questions for the day. Uh, you got anything else for us? Perfect timing. I know what I got I know, to you, right? man. Alabama Ole Miss 2016. Have you been watching the stuff on ESPNU, the best uh, 25 games of the 2016 season? I've been catching some of them. I didn't catch the uh, Alabama Ole Miss. 
It just started 15 minutes ago. They closed out Clemson, Florida. So I've been watching too much of this, but I've been, I've been so hungry <laughs> for football. I've been. I, I watched the I same see. game twice. I watched. Uh, who was it? It was Clemson against. Um, I already forgot. Oh, I did watch Tennessee, uh, Texas A and M twice too. Josh Randall's beasting out, but uh, I'm ready. For, I'm so ready for football. And that's the thing is, I'm just ready. <laughs> and here's the thing. I'm kind of ready to get this over with because part of it is the the whole too negative thing, the whole tertiary times. It's one of those things where it's like, can we just I, – I know it's going to end and it's going to get fast-forwarded through. Can we just fast-forward through this? It, what's funny, and this is what I love, Myson, is that every every year this happens, the whole too negative, you guys are unfair, you got to da 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 all this stuff. Even with the benefit of hindsight, even even knowing that we went four and twelve last year and had the worst offense in the NFL, think about the, think about the kind of mindset you have to have. Where if it, we didn't say that Todd Gurley was going to average fifty five yards a game, nobody said that. Nobody said he was going to be that bad. Nobody said Jared Goff would go zero and seven. Nobody said we would have the. Everybody said, "What did we say about the offense last year?" The the one thing that everybody said was. Well, it can't get any worse. And then exactly what <laughs> happened, it didn't get worse. It got demonstrably worse. It got significantly worse. It got so, it got so bad that, that, that there were no answers to anybody anywhere on the depth chart. So this is one of those things where if, you, if people are going to – and I know it's going to happen. I'm already ready for it. It's going to come over the next six weeks where Tertial Times is being too negative. The Rams, this is the year. And it's like, man, Kevin, we just did this. We just did this last year. And like you said, we may even get better, and it'll still be pretty bad. The Rams could improve their offense by 20% and still have the worst offense in the NFL. This is true. I, I, fully, I expect a better team. I just don't know how much better the record will be. And, and, and how much better to expect Sean McVay? What, think about how unfair it is to Sean McVay and Wade Phillips to hand them a 4-12 and team with the offense as bad as it was, with the defense as thin as it is. We, we, might, we might be in agreement about the quality of the starters, but as thin as it is, and for a team that I think was football outside, it was either football outside or pro football focus, said was the healthiest team in the NFL last year. If there's a regression to the mean when it comes to injuries, and you, and you talk about two or three key starters that are missing, even if they're not gone for the season, even if we're not talking about significant injuries, if they miss a month, who's going to be the Rams' starting left tackle for a month? If Robert Quinn or Connor Barwin gets hurt, who's going to be in the pass rush for a month? If Truman Johnson goes down, is it going to be EJ Gaines and Kayvon Webster for a month? That's the kind of thing where it's, it's nobody's fault. It's not that we're saying that the Rams aren't a great team to be a fan of. It's one of those things where you realize that's not the kind of situation that lends itself towards winning, and that's not that's not Wade Phillips or Sean McVay's fault. No, <laughs> and and I think that's what's going to happen. You know, fans are kind of building themselves up to expect so much change. If it's not there, they're going to be like, "Oh, Sean McVay's not the right guy." So how do you know so so soon? I think I think what's what's always going to be interesting to me, is the ability of fans every year to tell themselves that everything is going to be fine. That Greg Ryan, and only, and this is what makes it funny, is that it's only the guys that are on the team. So whether it's Greg Robinson, you go back two years ago, no, Greg Robinson's going to be fine. You go back last year, no, Greg Robinson's going to be fine. Then this year, nah, Greg Robinson sucks. 
Yeah, he sucks. Tavon Austin. No, Tavon Austin's going to be fine. Tavon Austin's going to be fine. Even this year, Tavon Austin's going to be fine, guys. Tavon Austin's going to get it worked out. Brian Quick. Brian Quick's going to make it. Brian Quick's going to finally figure it out. Brian Quick's going to be healthy. And now this year, ah, Brian Quick sucks. Get rid of him. Ah, he's horrible. Yeah, no matter who you talk about, as long as they're with the Rams, they're going to be fine. They're going to figure it. They're going to figure it out. They're going to be great. Well, as soon as they're no longer with the Rams, oh, they're horrible. <laughs> they weren't ever shit. Nobody cared about them. That's kind of what that's kind of what fanhood is all about, right? That's what yeah. That's what make that's what keeps the excitement. That's what keeps you around. The thought that it's always going to be all right. It is, and what what's great is. I'm even I said it all off season. I'm optimistic that the Rams are going to go to the playoffs next year. I'm still, I'm still getting sucked into the same thing where I look at the roster and we talk about all the things that are wrong with it, and I'm still saying, yeah, but by next year we gonna fix everything. <laughs> by we fix it everything. Exactly. You may not be this year, but you are, your thought process is. It's happening as soon. <laughs> My thought process at this point, after years of saying this year, this year, this year, is it's going to happen when it happens, if it happens. <laughs> there you go. It, it, it'll be fun to see how it starts in camp. Uh, Myson, good stuff, man. Hit us up, everybody, on the interwebs, t- Twitter, on the site, on Facebook, on Instagram. We're on Instagram. Eddie's running things over there. Hit us up on Tertial Times on Instagram, too. Um, Tertial Radio, hashtag Tertial Radio. Uh, it's 3K at uh, 3K underscore on Twitter. It's Mighty or Myson, M-I-G-H-T-Y-O-R-M-I-S-O-N-E. We'll see. If Myson can't get his shit together, he may not be able to drive. He may not be able to leave the house. There's going to be ladders, <laughs> black cats, broken mirrors. Ugh. Just ugh. everything. That's all I, I <laughs> I don't even know what to say, man. We're getting it started this week, Wednesday for the rookies, Friday for the veterans. Training camp on Saturday. Stay tuned. We're going to have some good stuff. I got the training camp preview, 53-man roster projection, updated win-loss projections, uh, all coming to the site this week and more. Stay tuned. Mike, what you got for the people? I'm bringing something back from the dead. All this talk about the uh, contract situations and everything, I actually touched on it when I was writing in the fan section. And I'm going to bring that back, and I'm going to really dig into it and really go into it a little bit more and break down where the problems have been for the Rams. So it would be very interesting, but please keep an eye out for that. Let's do it. Coming up all this week, Tersho Times here on Tersho Radio. It's your boy 3K. Myson, we out. Go Rams.
bad jacket and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scoffs. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to that. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Dita. Nobody dresses Twitter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. Limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night.
Mike Sims Walker? No, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> no, he sucks. Absolutely sucks. Uh, Drew Bennett. No, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Drew Bennett's going to be fine. He sucks. Lawrence Phillips. Uh... Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.